All right, I'm recording. I'm recording. As well, okay, you you can't. Nope. One, two, three. Nope. Oh uh, no. I guess we'll find out. It was okay. really One, you were like three seconds two, after me. Three. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rule your list, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be best. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. This is a podcast that we do weekly. I am one of your hosts. My name is Deanna. I'm and Hannah. that over there is Hannah. <laughs> that and over there over there in another state you mean all the way on the different coast uh-huh <laughs> and we talk to you every week about ladies ladies yeah that's pretty much that's pretty much it that's, that's what we talk about that's the that's the short of it that's the gist we and, talk uh, about ladies if you're new here welcome we hope you are here to listen to things about ladies <laughs> <laughs> We're real smooth. We're we're the smoothest of smooth. Yeah, man. Uh, you had a little thing you wanted to share. Yeah, a little tiny thing. By the time this airs, gets posted. Tomorrow. Um, <laughs> or Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, my God. Hannah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. This will be a couple of days old news, but we've talked about the royal family of, of uh, England, the House of Windsor, a few times on this podcast now. Yeah. And I thought, everybody, if you haven't heard yet, um, uh, the, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, a.k.a. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, had their baby. Baby! A baby boy on Monday the 6th. Um, and I have this little uh, 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 New York Times article that it just says it, it's uh, the first multiracial baby in the British monarchy's recent history. Wow. Recent history. Oh, no. The newborn is seventh in line to the British throne behind Prince Harry. It's not clear whether the mm. child will receive a royal title like those bestowed on the three children of Prince William. Uh, Buckingham Palace said in a statement that Meghan gave birth at 526 a.m. Oh, God. And that her mother, Doria Ragland, was with the new parents at their home, Frogmore Cottage. The newborn boy weighed seven pounds, three ounces. The royal couple wrote on Instagram, a name has not been chosen yet. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Is there like a process (laughs) to choosing the baby names of royal children? (laughs) I don't know if there's a process, but generally they have names of um, like previous royal family members. That makes sense. I mean... It's kind of dumb. It's kind of dumb, but yeah. (laughs) Um, Prince Harry, quote, this little thing is absolutely to die for. I'm just over the moon. A beaming Harry told reporters outside the couple's residence near Windsor Castle. Mother and baby are doing incredibly well. It's been the most amazing experience I can ever possibly imagine. How any woman does what they do is beyond comprehension. And we're both absolutely thrilled. Is, is that the little video I saw of him? I didn't, there wasn't any sound when I saw it, but he just looked so ecstatic and mm-hmm. just adorable. Yes. Oh, that's the really baby, sweet. The baby is sure to be the object of uncommon fascination, adored and criticized as a symbol of the modernization of Britain's royal family. Harry 34 and Meghan 37 have shaken up the royal family in a number of ways. 
The Duchess is an American and a former actress, and their wedding last May featured a gospel choir, a freestyling African-American bishop, <laughs> and a gaggle of Hollywood celebrities. Oh, no. <laughs> they continued to set... This is the New York Times, so they have no real stake in it. <clears throat> it's true. It's true. It's sort of their, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like, England is so... Cr- oh, wow. Oh. That's so crazy. <laughs> Um, they continued to set aside convention after the wedding, opening their own Instagram account. That's not unconventional. And offering little access to the royal obsessed British news media. In April, Mm. they announced they were canceling the traditional photo opportunity outside the Lindo Wing at St. Mary's Hospital in the heart of London, curtailing the ritual hullabaloo that usually surrounds royal births. Oh. Interesting. For many, the the new baby's importance will indelibly be linked with race. Oh. Britain That's is unfortunate, but Brit- Britain is 87 percent white, but multiracial children make up its fasti- fastest growing ethnic category and will soon be the country's largest minority group. The entry of Meghan Markle, the descendant of plantation slaves into the royal family, resonated deeply with many people of African descent who almost immediately began to anticipate the birth of the couple's first child. Quote, it's hopeful for people of my kids' generation to see a princess of mixed race, said uh, Lise Ragbeer, who is black and has written of her own experience raising a lighter-skinned child. Hmm. Repeatedly, beginning when her daughter was six months old, she said, strangers approached her to ask if it was her baby. Oh, my God. (laughs) It will be such a recognizable baby, and it could shift people's awareness, said Mrs. Ragbeer, 45, a gallery director in Austin, Texas. When one, yeah. of the most, when one of the most famous families in the world does not have does not have the same skin tone, people might pause before asking a stranger, is that your baby? Historians oh. have noticed that the Duchess herself cannot be definitively described as the first multiracial royal. Some scholars have argued that Queen Charlotte of Mecklenburg-Strelitz, the wife of King George III, had African ancestry through the Portuguese royal family. If true, it would have been passed on to her own descendant, Queen Victoria. And when was that? <laughs> Help Queen me. Victoria, Victorian yeah. times. <laughs> oh, right. So she's God, Queen Victoria's that was the mom. Last time. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh. What do you mean? Well, I mean, it's they're all uh, like related, allegedly, maybe. They just can't no. say definitively because there was a rumor that um, that that queen um, had African ancestry. I just think it's funny to like even bring it up. Because it's so long ago and nobody has confirmation. It's it's but just they funny. have to bring it up because it's the royal family. Well, that's I guess why I'm saying that. Like <laughs> that's why I think it's funny because they're so it's so white. Like that that's the last time they can even maybe possibly say that. And it's just it's just an interesting. I like, mean, it's it's England. Thing. It's yeah. a white country. It's Their royal a... family is probably going to be white mostly, and now it's not. It's well, just it's an still interesting facet right, you know, of the whole yeah. thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, this continues to go on. The, what they tried to do is make it a thing in uh, the, what was it, the Hallmark movie, the Lifetime movie? Um, oh, God. About Prince, like, Harry and Meghan Markle. Was it called a royal romance or something? Something, yeah. Anyway, they tried to make it a thing in there when, when Harry asked Queen, asks for Queen Elizabeth's, like, okay to propose to Meghan. Like, the actress who's playing the queen leads them through, a, like, a portrait hall and stops in front of that queen's portrait and says, basically, Harry, you might also be part black because you're great, great, great. <laughs> so sh- you're not the first. You know, it's, it's, that's when they tried to use it for silliness. 
<laughs> oh my god. Because that's, it's apparently a pretty well-known thing that there's a chance that that queen had African heritage. Um and and uh but like nobody ever knew for sure and of course they would try and hide it back then yeah yeah so that's why that's why it's unprovable that's so Um, funny yeah i love Um, that they used that in that movie it was such a cheesy scene i'll find it and send it to you because it's really fucking funny because it's just like harry's like I'm black? (laughs) No, (laughs) Harry, you're not. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. (laughs) Oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Well, thank you for sharing. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> that little tidbit. I will be very curious to hear what name they they decide on yeah if it's gonna be like louis charles you know like the, <laughs> their cousins oh yep yep or if they're gonna continue to quote unquote buck tradition i mean my fingers are crossed for that so we'll see um should i tell you about a lady yes please good because i'm very excited about this one i didn't um, you say i'm probably gonna yell yeah, yes. I mean, okay. So <laughs> it's a little frustrating. There are a lot of really amazing things about her. And then there are things that happened to her completely outside of her control that suck. And, you know, it was really like a product of the time and et cetera, et cetera. But I found her um, because Lucy Liu got her star on the Walk of Fame, on the Hollywood Walk of Fame on I think it was May 1st. And uh, so... Are you doing Anime Wong? I am doing Anime Wong. The fir- Like the first time that we recorded, I had chosen someone else. And then I found her after Lucy Liu got her star. And I was like, oh shit, I have, to, I have to totally redo my notes. So I have a full set of notes for a person that I did oh. not do last well, that's week. That's nice. Uh, it anyway, is kind of nice. I'm super obsessed with Anime Wong. So I'm really excited. Well, I've been hopefully... wanting to do her since the inception of this podcast, so I'm kind of annoyed that you're doing her. But it's fine. <laughs> hey, man, the timing <laughs> She's been is kind on my of list perfect. Since day one, and she was like the first person on my list when I sent a Ben. But it's okay. <laughs> well, it's good. I, I'm going to read this little thing about Lucy Liu getting her star first, just because I think it's a. What do you mean a... getting her star? Like replacing? She. This is so on May first. She, they unveiled her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Who's Lucy's or Anna's? Lucy Liu. Okay. Lucy Liu. So I want to read this little thing about Lucy from HuffPost because that was where I first saw the name Anna Mae Wong. So you and don't, you didn't know who she was until recently. I did not know who she was. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you know her now because she's yeah. great. Yeah. 
And and I feel like Lucy Liu's story is kind of a a happy, uh, like not a ending, but version. you know, yeah, like. Like she's she was able to see what happened to Anna Mae and also, well, I don't know. I'm just going to read this. Okay. So this is from HuffPost and it goes, May's Asian Pacific Heritage Month started off perfectly as Lucy Liu received her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And many <laughs> Asians on the internet had no chill whatsoever. Uh, I don't know that that's important to the rest of this article, but okay. The actress received her star on Wednesday when it was placed next to the star for Asian-American trailblazer Anna Mae Wong, who is known as the first Chinese-American movie star in Hollywood and will reportedly be featured in Lucy Liu's upcoming series, Unsung Heroes. Yep. Um, In her speech, Liu paid homage to Wong. She explained that Asians have been making movies for a long time. Uh, She said, we just weren't making them here because we weren't invited to the table. If my body of work somehow helped bridge the gap between the stereotypical roles first given to Anna Mae and mainstream success today, I'm thrilled to have been part of that process. Um, And Lucy Liu and Anna Mae Wong are now the only two Asian women who have stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yep. Which is bananas. Um, (laughs) so having read that, I was like, okay, well, what, who, like, who is anime Wong? What do I, what is there to learn about her? And obviously, as you know, because you are much more enmeshed, I think, in that, in the theater and old timey movie star world, um, she was kind of incredible. Yeah, and she, uh, she lost a lot of roles because they, they didn't, um, anti-miscegenation stuff. Like, they would cast a white dude to play an Asian, and so then they would be like, well, we can't cast you as the love interest now. Yeah. So they have to cast a white woman. Yeah. So I got, I got some information from Wikipedia, obviously. And then I also found a really great BuzzFeed article that took, it, it basically, took a chapter from a book called Scandals of Classic Hollywood and also added in its own, you know, the, the author added in her own, like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Commentary here yeah. and there. Yeah. Um, so the BuzzFeed article is really great. And a lot of this, I took a lot from that just because she she talked a lot about the whys and the hows rather than just the what. Um I will say there's a little bit of a warning for some racial slurs uh, from various quotes that I've that I have um, quoted in here, etc. Well, she dealt with a lot of racism. So she dealt with a lot of racism, you know, and it gives me no pleasure to say those words, but they're out of her own mouth. So um, let me start with this paragraph from that BuzzFeed article. Uh, slash that book it goes anime wong never scandalized hollywood with her string of fiancés like clara bow or a i'm gonna pronounce this totally wrong outre outre sex philosophy o-u-t-r-e anyway i don't know um like may west Ultimately, the scandal of her career had little to do with her or her actions. It's the way that Hollywood and the audience that prepared it, that powered it, what am I talking about, that powered it, 
remained so hideously stubborn about the roles of a woman like her could play both on and off the screen. Yeah. Uh, Wong was a silent film demi-star, a European phenomenon, a cultural ambassador, and a curiosity. The de facto embodiment of China, Asia, and the, quote, Orient at large for millions. She didn't choose that role, but it became hers, and she labored subtly, cleverly, and persistently to challenge what Americans thought an Asian or Asian-American should or could be, a challenge that persists today. That's so funny, because I, I just went to my Tumblr to open all my tagged posts with her in it, and yeah. I have one with that exact quote on it. Aha! There it is, yeah. <laughs> it's a really good article. I will link to the whole thing, because I kind of... I. I cut a lot out for time, but um, but there's some really good info in there that didn't make it into my notes. So mm-hmm. I'll link to that. Um, so yeah, Wong, Anime Wong was born in 1905 in Los Angeles on the outskirts of Chinatown. When she was 10, the family moved to Figueroa Street and they opened up a laundry. But they were the only Chinese family in the neighborhood. Oh. Uh, yeah, and she once said... We tried to walk unconcernedly, we meaning she and her siblings, Mm. um, home from school, always with a larger and larger crowd of our tormentors around us shouting, chink, chink, Chinaman, yanking our, quote, pigtails, as they called our straight black braids of hair, pushing us off the sidewalk into the street, pinching us, slapping us. Every day was one of torture for us. Just because they were the only Chinese family? Yes. Yeah. And, they and moved. she she was born to second generation Americans too, so it's not even like her parents were immigrants either. Right. Yep. In fact, that <laughs> like, is that's a they're that's very American. Yeah, that's an error that this article makes. Um, that I I had to go in and and kind of put in some put in my own information there because this article says she's the child of immigrants and she is not. Um, her parents were the children of immigrants. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, what's interesting is her grandfather emigrated from uh, Taishan, I hope I'm saying that correctly, China, to the United States in the 1850s. And oh. he opened a store in Michigan Bluffs, California, near Sutter's Mill, John Sutter's Mill, where gold was discovered in 1848. And that's where her father was born. And tragically, this is crazy, her grandfather died attempting to rescue a woman who had fallen into a well. Oh, no. I know. Like, he was kind of a hero. And her her father, Sam, was ultimately made father uh, fatherless by that and was forced to start earning his own living very young. Does it say how old he was when his father um, died? It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't say. But then he, a few years later, he got married to Oakland-born Gon Toy uh, Lee, and they opened the laundry in los angeles after that so yeah so she's like she's an american and her family her parents were americans through and through um so as wong grew she became increasingly fascinated with the hollywood films that would film in chinatown which yeah in the late 10s and early 20s apparently studios would regularly use chinatown as a visual substitute for china Um, yeah because chinatown looks so much like actual china it's the closest they could get that's true that's true Uh, you know and it was a conflation that made it even more difficult for americans to understand that chinese americans were a distinct culture from chinese people yeah 
To make Chinatown seem like the bustling streets of China, directors needed Chinese faces, which is how Wong first appeared as an extra in, you're going to like this, Ala Nazimova's The Red Lantern. <laughs> that was her first job? That was her first job. Oh, Ella. I know. So if anyone has not been listening to this podcast for the last year, we did an episode on Ala Nazimova. Um, so I can link to that in the show notes. Um, but yeah, her first her first job in Hollywood was an, as an extra in The Red Lantern at the age of 14. How cool is that? I know. I know. The world is so small. Hollywood is so small. Hollywood's so small, especially when you're like, when all the movies that you're in are in Chinatown. And so they're just like, oh, hey, you have Chinese features. You're Asian. You're Asian. So be in our movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but she was enamored. Also, like, she's, she's gorgeous. So. Oh, I'm my sure God. Like very pretty when she was even like just pubescent. And people yeah. were like, come over here. You have a nice face. I'm sure the yeah. camera will love it. And it did. It did. I mean, she was considered of, of great beauty throughout the world by the time she um, was tra- started to travel. So um, so over the next few years, um, she appeared in bit parts in various films. She was still in school, but she finally quit in 1921 to focus full time on becoming an actress. And she was, so she was what, like 16? She was born in 1905? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> 15 or 16. I was like, oh my God. Every time we're like math. I just yeah, you and I are freeze up, <laughs> especially on the spot. I know it's so bad. I like seeing Ben's face when we're editing those little spots. Is like oh, he's so ashamed of us. Um, but yes, so she was immediately cast. Like once she left school, she was immediately cast in her first leading role in *The Toll of the Sea*, mm. which was a non-operatic take on Madame Butterfly. That. Oh. Yeah, and it was a huge success because, um, well, A, like, she was a really good actress, and people were kind of like, whoa, okay, this is, you know, this is real. And right. it was also in Technicolor, which Whoa. Was, yeah, in 1921. Jesus. Can you believe that? They could do that? It, apparently they could do that. I think, I think I read that it was one of two films at the time that, did, that was in Technicolor. Wow. So, yeah, the audiences were kind of like, whoa, like, anime Wong is amazing, and this movie's in Technicolor. You kind of can't get better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, she was in a bunch more stuff. I think... There, there's a lot that I cut out in from the BuzzFeed article that I think is really good. But basically, her early success can at least partially be attributed to the global market for silent films. Mm. Um, yet to truly understand Anime Wong's unique place in Hollywood and the particular type of racist role available to her, uh-huh. you have to understand both the rampant fetishization of, quote, the Orient by the West and yep. the place of Chinese Americans in California in the early 20th century. Which, I mean, all of that still exists today. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, in very broad terms, um, Orientalism refers to the overarching tendency of the Occident, or the Western world, to fetishize and uh, exoticize the Orient. 
Right. Which, you know, we talked about last week with Patsy Mink when she first got to uh, Washington, D.C. And papers were labeling her as exotic and diminutive. Like, yep. she's a fucking American. Calm your ass down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> her face doesn't make her personality one thing or the other thing or... Anyway. Um, yes. So, Scott, you know... Scholar but we Graham. want her to be. We want her to be exotic. Yeah. I just want to fetishize women. Leave me alone. No. <laughs> All right. I mean, I can like leave and come back if you want to just do that for a little while. <laughs> um, um, scholar Graham Huggin, Hugin defines exoticism as an experience that, quote, posits the lure of difference while protecting its practitioners from close involvement. And that's exactly what Westerners watching movies wanted. They wanted a taste of, quote, difference, usually in in the form of an evocative song or a poem or a painting without actually having to immerse themselves um, and possibly challenge themselves in the process, in the experience. Right. Which is part of why I feel like it's so ridiculous to expect that of like a person who's not from that culture, actually. Exactly. Especially her. She's like two generations removed. So like she gets she'll surely have hints of it for sure. But she's American. So that's her main experience. Like you can't just like ask me to, you know, do German things. Right. Because <laughs> I don't know. Right. <laughs> like. Yeah, I mean, I'll her, eat sauerkraut. That's about you know. <laughs> well, and she didn't know her grandparents, the 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 people in her family who were actually from China. Right. She had never been to China. She didn't know any of that. Like her grandfather died when her father was young, so a lot of that was ne- she she didn't grow up speaking Chinese. Like there were all of these things about her her upbringing that made so much of what was put onto her by American audiences, totally irrelevant, but they would never know that. And right. Exactly. It's so crazy. So yeah. So like her, her Americanness, like anytime someone actually heard her speak was really fucking confusing to white people. They were just like, Oh my gosh, I'm expecting, you know, this very uh, stereotypical offensive image. And, and you're not giving me that. That's what I want. That's what I want. Ah. <laughs> I mean, this is what's this is crazy. So one fan magazine at the time said anime Wong symbolizes the eternal paradox of her ancient race. She reminds us of cruel and intricate intri- intrigues and Ew. at the same time of crooned Chinese lullabies. How? Brings, yeah. Just her, her face? Her face. Her face. That's it. It's just her face. She brings to the screen the rare comprehension and the mysterious colors of her ivory-skinned race. I I can't. (laughs) So, like, yeah, that's Orientalism. (laughs) If it was confusing thus far, that's what it is. Um, That Wong was an American complicated the very pervasive Orientalist discourse. You know, she forced magazines to perform a lot of tricky rhetorical maneuvering where they acknowledged that she was somehow Chinese and American all at one time. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Um, Yeah. Let me... 
look at this really quickly. Oh yeah, okay. I'm just gonna skip. There's a couple couple things within this that I'm just gonna skip. Okay, so that was the environment of systemic racism in which Anna Mae Wong was operating in the early 1920s right. when she had her first star turn in that movie, in that Technicolor film. Yeah. Um, and so Douglas Fairbanks apparently saw that movie and he was kind of like the king of Hollywood at the time. He was the big name. I think, wasn't Mary Pickford married to him? Or uh, they were maybe in a relationship? Anyway, um, he needed, ugh, this just makes, it grosses me out to see. He was it. married to Mary Pickford at one point, yes. Okay, cool. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Mary Pickford was one of the original United Artists, which you now know of as a movie theater chain, but, <laughs> you know, at one time it was a production studio and it was very powerful. Um, so, yeah, Douglas Fairbanks saw the movie and he needed a, quote, dastardly Mongol slave uh-huh. for his production of the movie The Thief of Baghdad. And he saw her in this movie and he immediately wanted her for the part. Okay. So those were the roles that were available to her. Either a victim who can't have love, like she played in The Toll of the Sea, or an evil temptress who prevents a white woman from having love. Yay! I mean, I mean those are still kind of the same, like, pervasive stereotypes where you have, like, the, the sweet, diminutive, um, you know, subservient Asian stereotype for women. Yep. Or you have the dragon lady stereotype. Yep. Yep. Still. And she played primarily both of those roles. Yeah. She was either a victim or a villain and uh, had very little character development or like even ethnic specificity or anything else <laughs> to suggest worth um, or charisma or whatever to people watching these movies. Right. <laughs> so you can see how Anime Wong would grow weary, both of this treatment in her, uh, in her publicity and the relative dearth of roles for her, like roles that were complicated and interesting that, that she actually wanted to play. Right. Um, and she was understandably pissed that when an Asian role did come along, as you mentioned earlier, directors found an actor of basically any other ethnicity they could to cast as the Asian character. Right. As um, if, if the Asian it, character had to interact in any way with a white person, mm-hmm. uh, or not even a white person, a white actor, because they could all be yep. Asian characters, but because of whitewashing, they're like, no, yep. no, no. And apparently there was a rule, I think this was part of the Hayes Code at the time, where obviously interracial coupling was expressly forbidden on screen right and so yeah yeah so like if you had if your female part needed to kiss or be romantically entwined with the with the white male actor at any time on screen they had to cast a white woman right even if the white actor was playing an asian guy yep exactly that happened all the fucking time yep so that was in our production code, like in Hollywood's production code. It wasn't even, it was like so deeply embedded that it was like illegal to have her play yeah. any part of her own, of any Asian descent if, it, if that character kissed or was romantically entangled with a white character. It's crazy. So yeah. she was pissed off and fed up and was like, I'm leaving, goodbye, I'm going to Europe. 
and which is a good and, place to go because yeah it worked well, for josephine baker that's exactly right like i think <laughs> i think it had worked for a lot of people so in 1928 she went to europe and there she could make films that might exoticize her a little bit less than American films tended to do. Wee! Oh, wow. She could do things like hang out with her white co-stars. In public? In public. Mm. <laughs> Maybe even have a romance. Mm. Who knows? Um, yeah, she made her home in Berlin. And she not only got to star in all of her own films, but she was celebrated throughout Europe as a great beauty. Uh, she hung out with Lainey Riefenstahl, who I don't oh. know who that is. Do you? Yes. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you, but I know the name. Oh, okay. Probably, is she an actress? I think so. I think she's an actress. Um, she also, she was, uh, she became good friends with Marlene Dietrich and may Marlena. or may not Marlene. Oh. Marlena Dietrich. Really? Yes. Have I been saying it wrong all these years? I mean, I think that's the American way of saying it. Oh. But in German, it's Marlena. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Oh, Lenny, Lenny Riefenstahl is a director. Oh. And actress. (laughs) Oh, okay. And actress. Yeah. Wow. All right. Maybe we'll have to do her. She lived to be 101 years old, man. Damn. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, so she she became good friends with uh, Marlene Marlena uh, Dietrich, and may or may not have been lovers with her. And Marlene Dietrich was known for being kind of sapphic, maybe possibly like fully a lesbian, but I don't think there was ever confirmation. But I could be wrong. Um, oh, she definitely wrote love letters to like her childhood best friend. Yeah, like she definitely had <laughs> affairs. I don't know if she was bi or if she was, like, fully... I don't know that it matters. I'm getting off topic. Um, She's queer for sure. Queer for sure. Queer for sure. So, yeah. So she got to... um, Anime Wong got to kind of hang out with some cool people and be in some cool movies. Um, A film called Piccadilly, which was uh, released in 1929, is largely considered to be her best performance, and it was her last silent film. And uh, in 1931, she went back to Hollywood. She, she had a contract from Paramount that was basically too good to pass up. And uh, they so basically... What year? 1931. Okay. They basically, basically were like, we'll give you be- much better roles. Like, just come back. We've got a good contract for you and some, you know, some movies you won't want to miss being in. That's probably a good time to get out of Germany anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I presume you said she's in Europe, but she's hanging out with all these German people. So yeah. presumably she was in Germany. <laughs> she was in Berlin. Yeah, she was. She yeah. she made Berlin her home for a long time. Well, not a long time, but a little while. Um. So yeah. So she agreed to appear as Shocker, Shocker, a classic evil vamp. Yep. In Daughter of the Dragon, but only because it meant that she'd then get a meaty part alongside alongside her Shanghai Express co-star Marlene Dietrich, and if you watch, I'll I'll have to find the um the video that I found of the two of them in Shanghai Express because it's very steamy, like oh, okay. yeah they get they get very close and like there's some sexual tension going on there and it's it's um you know it's nice. 
Uh, her role, Anna Mae Wong's role in Express, Shanghai Express, was in many ways a classic person of color best friend's role. Um, only, according to the person who wrote the, the book, um, only this best friend had an amazing resting bitch face and a gaze that could shut a man up with a single glance. I can attest to that. She looked, okay. she, she had a good face. She had a good, like, don't fuck with me face in that, in that clip that I watched. Um, her true feat, of course, was getting people to look at something, anything that was not Marlene Dietrich. And the fact that she could command the screen with as much force um, was really a testament to her, her skill, her talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, she was still getting shitty, stereotypical Asian roles. And right. she was watching other white women getting... <laughs> getting these roles that she really should have been getting. Um, so she went back to Europe and she toured Britain and Scotland. She made a few appearances in some small films, including ones where she got to kiss her white male co-star. Wait, when? In When she was in Europe. So I don't know. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, they didn't mm-hmm. have the Hayes Code. So she pretty much was like, all right, I'm just going to be a European actress, I guess. Like, that's that's my fate. Um, mm-hmm. In 1935, MGM began casting for its adaptation of Pearl Buck's The Good Earth, which at the time yeah. was, like, a huge bestseller, and it wasn't written by a, a woman of Asian descent, but this woman spent, I guess, a, a lot of time. She grew up in China. She was the child of missionaries who made their, you know, mission in China. Right. And so it was kind, kind of, of like, like Arthur Golden with Memoirs of a Geisha. Like Memoirs of a uh-huh. Geisha was written written by a white dude, but is like really well researched. And Yeah, exactly. Like, I yeah. mean, this this book says her rendering of the Chinese experience, however imperfect, was nonetheless miles ahead of uh, in terms of complexity, sympathetic characters and generalized rejection of the tropes that usually characterized white narratives of China. And Anna Mae was like, this is my fucking part. Like, this part was written for me. It's my role. And the general public was pretty much in agreement. Like, fan magazines had the same idea. They they were, you know, what we today call fan casting. Like, they were fan casting yeah. Anna Mae in, in this role. And um, she did not get it. And she didn't get it, I think, because there was a white male in the lead role. And yep, therefore, this is the one that I was most pissed off about. Yep. Because I know she really campaigned hard for it. Yeah. This was like the one. It was the one for her. And she didn't get it because of some stupid bullshit, Hayes Code, racist rule. And whitewashing. And whitewashing. The, the the lead male role, I think, was it is an Asian guy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and what's really fucked up is MGM was like, oh, but anime, we do have a part for you in this movie. It's the mm-hmm. role of Lotus, the slinky tea house dancer who seduces the main character and becomes his second wife. She was Great. like, she was like, fuck you. <laughs> she said, you're asking me, a person with Chinese blood, to do the only unsympathetic role in a picture featuring an all-American cast portraying Chinese characters. Yeah. So 
she took MGM's offer as an insult, which obviously it was, and she said no. And yeah, well, because she all the reason she wanted to campaign so hard for this is because she knew it was specifically a story with like an all Chinese character list, like a, a like a list of characters who were Chinese. Yeah, and so and so she was like, oh, I should be a shoe in for this because. Obviously, there won't be any problem with me kissing the the lead actor because he's supposed to be Chinese. And then they're like, "Oh no, about that, we're whitewashing this." <laughs> he, oh, but he will be. It's it. We will make it so that he is playing Asian. But oh, it was so frustrating. So fucked up. It was so fucked up. And she was finally just like, "You know what? If you really think I'm too Chinese to play." Chinese parts in American films, then I'm going to go to China. I'm going to visit. I'm going to visit China for the first time in my life. And she did. And at first, you know, the Chinese press was kind of like, no, you're American. (laughs) Like. Ah, the plight of immigrants uh and children of immigrants and all these things. Yep. Yep. Which kind of harkens back to our opening thing, because it's the same thing for people of mixed race. Yeah. Yep. Because, you know, they're like, you're too this and not enough this. And it's like, well, where the fuck am I supposed to fit in? Yeah. Where do I fit? Where do I belong? And uh, and they were mad at her a little bit because she was constantly playing these roles that depicted China and Chinese people in a very in very specific stereotypical ways. Um, right. And they didn't like that, understandably. And she was, you know. She's like, hey, I don't like it either, yeah. but I got to get a job. Yeah. So she toured <laughs> She toured China and basically made that case for herself. You know, she was just kind of like, I don't like it either. <laughs> like, you know. But what else am I supposed to do? Yeah. If I want to be an actor, these are my only options That's right, right now. So until, and still it starts to change. And still until, oh my God, I'm all fired <laughs> up. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Um, but yeah, it's just like it's so crazy. I mean, in the end, she ended up having a good, a really good tour in China. Like she, good. she got them on her side. Um, but it was hard. It took a while, and they were not easy. And not obviously, not everybody was like at the end of it. They were like, "Yes, Anime Wong, like we're on, we're on board with you," because she right. did go back to the U.S. and filled. She had to complete her contract with Paramount. Right. So she did end up going back to the U.S. at the end of it, and she made a string of B movies in the late 1930s. Um, however, I mean, I think it's interesting that they say B movies because these movies, the fact that they were so like. They were B movies versus A movies, gave her opportunities to play less stereotypical characters. Often dismissed by critics, the movies that she did at that time gave her non stereotypical roles, um, which were publicized in the Chinese American press for their positive images. And these smaller budgeted films could be bolder than their than the higher profile releases that she used to do. And mm. Wong used this to her advantage to pr- portray successful professional Chinese American characters. Nice, which I think is really cool. Like she obviously, yeah. you know, the, there's not as much money in that, but your soul is a little bit more fulfilled, <laughs> and that's uh, that's important. Clearly <laughs> huge. Um. Competent and proud of their Chinese heritage, these roles worked against the prevailing U.S. film portrayals of Chinese Americans, uh, in contrast to the usual official Chinese condemnation of Wong's film roles. The Chinese consul to Los Angeles gave his approval to the final scripts of her 
uh, of two of those films, Daughter of Shanghai and King of Chinatown. So, like, she had China on her side for a lot of those roles, too, which she did not have before. So in Daughter of Shanghai, Wong played the Asian-American female lead in a role that was rewritten for her as the heroine of the story, um, actively setting the plot into motion rather than the more passive character that was originally planned for that film. The script was so carefully tailored for Wong that at one point it was given the working title Anime Wong Story. (laughs) Of this film, she told Hollywood Magazine, I like my part in this picture better than any film I've had before, better than any part I've had before, because this picture gives Chinese people a break. We have sympathetic parts for a change. To me, that means a great deal. In 1938... This was, I didn't find this many places. There were only a couple of of articles that mentioned this, but she auctioned off her movie costumes in 1938 and donated the money that she made to Chinese Aid, um, the Chinese Benevolent Association of California. Oh. Um, And they honored her for her work in support of Chinese refugees. So the, uh, there was a big struggle between China and Japan, I think we've talked about. We've talked about that briefly in previous episodes. So so there's this conflict, and she was basically donating money from the costumes that she auctioned off to, you know, support these refugees. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's part of her history that you don't see talked about a lot, but she really, I think after that tour of China, she really became much more connected to, to the country. Cat? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um... What's he doing? He's just, like, obsessed with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so between 1939 and 1942, she she made a few films, but not many, instead engaging in events and appearances in support of the Chinese struggle against Japan. Um, hmm. I ended my notes there because she did continue to, she continued to act and she continued to um, be in movies here and there, but... I kind of wanted to end with the part that she loved the most. And, okay. you know, that was the, her her role in Daughter of Shanghai was the movie that she loved the best. And it was the one that really, I think, satiated her soul <laughs> in mm. ways that, that her others did not. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That's significant. That's kind of um. That's kind of a bad ending for that. But basically, <laughs> she she did a lot of movies that she really wished would be the one for her and uh, weren't. And then she did one. She did a, a few that she really loved, and I think was content to let that be her legacy. And then she went on to help um, China Chinese refugees. Yeah, and that's really fucking cool. I love her. I know. So much. Is there anything you want to add that I missed that you can no. think of off the top of your head? No. Okay. Uh, well, I'm curious, like, when did she pass away? And Well, I didn't put that in here because I don't know why. Let me find it. <laughs> 1961. In L.A.? So she was, Wang was scheduled to play the role of Madame, Madame Lang, or Liang. I'm... I'm sorry to butcher that. In the film production of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Flower Drum Song. Probably Liang. Um, but she was unable to take the role 
due to failing health, and on February 3rd, 1961, at the age of 56, she died of a heart attack as she slept what? at home in Santa Monica. 56? Yep. That's yep. bullshit. Her final screen performance was on the television show, The Barbara Stanwyck Show. Huh. So she died two days after that performance. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Her cremated remains were interred uh, in her mother's grave at Rosedale Cemetery in Los Angeles. <laughs> I know. She's with her mommy. She's with her mommy. Aww. She's with her mommy. I know. So, yeah. So she, she continued to work. I don't know why I didn't put a lot of that in my notes. I think they were just already getting really long. And it was important to me to talk about a lot of the stuff that she struggled with during her career but you know but it's just crazy to me that it was like she had to pull out of a movie due to quote-unquote failing health she was 56 years old that's yeah. not a time where your body just disintegrates <laughs> like i wonder if there's like that's younger than our parents or our mothers i guess yeah i wonder why <laughs> like what the failing health was I, and I don't even know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know who else they would put on put on the Walk of Fame. Um, that article that I read a little bit from earlier had a list of some potential candidates. Yeah. They... Well, I know that as far as like SNL is concerned, Aquafina was only the second Asian American woman to host SNL after Lucy Liu did in like the early 2000s. Holy shit. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yep. This this article suggests Michelle Yeoh. Mm-hmm. Sandra O. Oh, yeah. Mindy Kaling. Sure. Ming-Na Wen. Yeah. Uh, Leah Salonga. Well, Leah Salonga, for sure. Leah. Um, Miyoshi Umeki. Who was the only Asian woman to only Asian woman to win an Oscar for acting? Oh, uh, and then I think oh Nancy Kwan. I don't know who she is. And that's that's that. So those that's those are some There's suggestions. Still not very many names though. It's not very many <laughs> names. It's still more names than exist on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. But you know, for now we've got Anime Wong, and now we have Lucy Liu. And um, I felt like this was a timely story for that reason. I agree. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you did a good job in spite of me being annoyed that I didn't get to do <laughs> anime one. You did great. And I learned a lot. Okay. I'm glad. <laughs> I did. I... <laughs> well, you already knew about a Pearl Buck, the Pearl Buck movie. Um what? I didn't know that her first job was in Alan Azamova's movie, though. That's pretty cool. I thought and that really, was really ties cool. into us. I know. That was the other reason I was like, oh, I have to do her because I did Alan Azamova the last time. And uh, and we saw that, that Alan Azamova show. And we saw the done, Alan Azamova done show. Done by fan of the podcast, Romy. Yes, ma'am. Who does a one-woman show that she wrote. Yes, about ma'am. Alan Azamova. Which and is awesome. Great. Yeah. Um, well, do you want to hear some On This Day in History? I fucking do. You fucking do. <laughs> well, it's May 8th. And uh, there weren't as many cool things 
today as there were on May 1st, which was the last <laughs> day that I've researched. <laughs> uh, your day. Um, but we've got a few. So 1660, English Parliament declares Charles Stuart to be King Charles II of England. Aha. And I thought you would appreciate that. I do. Uh, 1835, the first installment of Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales is published in Copenhagen, Denmark. Is that how you say that? What? Copen- Copenhagen. It's, I mean, it's... That's, that might be the Danish Probably Cop- Copenhagen, you know. There you go. There you go. But I'm Americanizing it because I'm American, damn it. Keep going. Uh, oh, here we go. 1878. <laughs> David Edward Hughes' paper on the idea for a microphone is read before the Royal Society of London. The idea for a microphone? The idea for a microphone. And I included that because we are using microphones today. And we, I we felt sure that are. was very appropriate for this, this podcast. And all podcasts, really. If it weren't for microphones, podcasts wouldn't exist. That's right. So 1878, you can thank David Edward Hughes. Uh, 1899, Ernest Rutherford publishes his discovery of two different kinds of radiation, alpha and beta particles. I thought that was interesting. Yep. Uh, I don't know why I included this on here, but I'm going to read it anyway. 1958, Dracula, starring Christopher Lee as the eponymous vampire, uh, is first released on May 8th, 1958. Well, you did a thing about films today. I, I so. guess maybe Look that's why. <laughs> I think I'm very also, fascinated you like creepy by, things? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like the history of Dracula in cinema is very long and, and storied. Like Nosferatu is based on dracula but they did it without getting the rights to dracula and so that's a whole messy thing and then dracula finally went into the public domain and so we ended up getting an actual dracula movie in 1958 whoa yeah i I actually i had a a funny moment with alex like a few weeks ago because he calls them Draculas. I'm like, you mean vampires? <laughs> but he just, I was like, that's like calling facial tissues Kleenex, which I guess people do. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it is true. Or Tupperware. <laughs> or Band-Aids. Or Band-Aids. Oh, my God. Draculas. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I was like, that's the name of one vampire. Oh, I love it. Oh, I'm sorry, what? A group of Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand what's weird about this. I mean, here's the thing. We would all know. Like, if, if you right. said that, right. we would know what he's saying. Um, Dracula, he's rushing now. <laughs> you're, not a, you're not a vampire, babe. <laughs> but he is a Dracula. He, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> don't, don't encourage him, Hannah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and I'm ending on kind of a... On a bad a one. downer a downer in 2018 president trump pulls out of the um iran nuclear deal yeah what a great idea that was you piece of shit yay <laughs> happy may 8th everybody <laughs> i don't know why i keep like ending in terrible places but um that's the kind of day it's gonna be it's a terrible ending kind of day yeah yeah uh, maybe you should give me something that's not terrible. Something that I'm excited that about? That you're excited about. 
Oh, I have two things. Um, by the time this episode drops, it, this will have happened. But um, I am going on a tour of the Sriracha factory this week. What? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so stoked to go because you know how obsessed I am with hot sauces oh my God, and Sriracha in particular. And uh, yeah, no, I, we booked it a long time ago. It's something we've been meaning to do. Um, but they only do it during the weekdays and they sell out in advance. So if you save it to the last minute, you're not going to get it. And if I'm only because a lot of times when I come out to California, I'm only here for a weekend. So this is the first time we've been able to orchestrate it. So this is probably like a dumb question or a dumb concern. But like the first thing that I, that that makes me think of is that I would walk in there and with all the pepper and stuff that I would immediately start coughing. Do yeah, I'm not that's... sure. I'm not sure how it's going to go, but I know that, that for a second, the city tried to get the factory moved, the city that it's in, because they they complained that it like affects their eyes and their their lungs. Okay, but so I'm they, gonna they need didn't. you to report so, back. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> they modified it. I think. I think. So we'll find out. But also, I I'm excited. I posted about this on Instagram, but I realized that uh, I have been vegan now for a decade. Ah! It was a decade. For, wow. So it was May, May 2009 was my, my vegan month that I wanted to try. Damn. And then, I, and then by the time I got to the end of the month, I was like, this is cool. I mean, obviously, like, I'm not, I'm, I, all you can do is your best. And, and for me, like, the goal is to be the least wasteful, most, um, you know, ethical. Um, so, like, if something comes out wrong sometimes, I won't eat meat, but like if it comes out with a little bit of dairy on it, you know, I, I, I won't send it back because it's just going to go in the trash and that'll waste that anyway. Right. But, um, but you know, I, I, it wrecks my insides every time. So I try to be yeah. <laughs> careful because I was already lactose intolerant before I went vegan and now it's like especially bad. Yeah, dude, um, I know. Like eating meat, I, I, I've been vegetarian, not vegan fully, but I eat eat a lot of vegan food but I you do I do I eat a lot of vegan food especially when you're here and uh and all those anytime I accidentally end up with meat in my food I just get so sick yeah no I can't I think that like your insides I was when I was reading about this a long time ago there's a, a very specific like enzyme or protein that breaks down um like animal flesh yeah um and it, the less you eat it, the less your body produces. And I literally, I haven't had meat in 13 years now. So uh, I'm sure if I ate meat, I would be horrifically sick. But thank God the thought of eating meat grosses me out. So, Yeah. Yeah. Especially in New York. Ugh. Um, well, we don't have to get too too in depth into that. No. Anyway, I'm just excited because I feel like that's a big milestone. Like 10 years is a long time. I think that's incredible. Like almost the entirety of my twenties as a vegan, because I was twenty. You've done when I so well. Went vegan. That means a lot less demand for aminals, just for me alone. I mean, it does make me wonder if, like, if part of the reason places like Del Taco, and which um, I had for lunch, which you had for lunch, I wonder, like, are they offering because... vegan things because like there's more demand for vegan food, or that because there's less demand for meat? Or probably both. both. I would be curious to know, like, what the demand for meat is these days versus, I don't know, 20 years I ago. I mean, I, regardless of, like, um, whether or not you're vegan 
or vegetarian, like the more plant-based meals that you consume, even if you are omnivorous, is like, that's helpful, even if you do it like once a week. And so I think that that's, you know, maybe a lot of company food companies are recognizing that it's not just like a fad to be you know more environmentally conscientious and obviously they partner with these companies like the del taco just they they tested it for a couple months um but then it just released nationwide they're doing beyond meat tacos um and they have a vegan one and a non-vegan one just with cheese Mm. um and the vegan one has beyond meat and lettuce tomato and avocado so good um, can't wait to try that. Yeah, it's really good. Um, but anyway, it's it was very exciting when I realized that I could go get them. And so I, I think I've had it like three times now. <laughs> so, and it went it went uh, nationwide in uh, like on April 26th or something. <laughs> so it's only been like a week and I've had Del Taco three times. Hey, man, there are lots of people who eat fast food for every meal. And now you can do that, too. Yay! Which maybe isn't the best, but... <laughs> But it's nice, and I want to support them financially for making a choice like that. Yeah, I think that's cool. Very helpful for people like you and me. (laughs) Yay. When we need a fast meal. But anyway. I'm very excited for you. So I'm going to eat some sriracha (laughs) and and put it on all sorts of vegan tacos. Yeah, let me know if you hack your lungs out on the tour and, uh, you know. Maybe we'll get masks. Ooh, actually, probably. I would be shocked Mm. if they didn't give you a mask. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, and really quick, we are sending out pins this week. They are in the mail. No, they're already in the mail. They're in the, yeah, they're in the mail. So you should, so. you should be getting them soon if you, if you uh, are a patron and you are entitled to a pin. And, and we posted a picture of them on our Instagram if you want to take a, a quick peek because they look fucking great so good they look so good and they are available for purchase on our website now which is crazy and uh (laughs) i'm very happy about that so check it out and otherwise i think that might be it yeah listen to our outro for all of our social media information please rate review subscribe follow us on instagram and twitter uh, email us if you want and blah, blah, blah. You know the, you know the drill. Yeah. I did have somebody who um, she donated a coffee to us. So thank you very much for that. And she was wondering if, um, if we take requests for people. Oh, And I okay. was like, I mean, yeah. If you, if you guys have somebody that you want to hear about and you have a good link or, or I don't know, a photo or even whatever, like email it to us. We're here and we're happy to at the very least consider it or do a short blurb about her uh, at the beginning of an episode at some point. So, you know, send us your ideas like we're here for that. Yeah. Or Twitter. Why not? Yeah. Why not? So, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there because it was a question that we got. And if anybody else has, I, I mean, I have people who who link me to cool women all the time on Twitter. And like, we really are down to hear, hear about those people from you. So. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So that's that. And Uh, otherwise, peace out, witches. Bye. Thank you. 
for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moonbounce. Moon